Okay. Hey guys. Um, so welcome back to another episode of Untold. Um, and as you know, we like to get different perspectives onto our podcast. So today we are going to be having a discussion with Camila, who is um, a psychotherapist um, specialising in trauma and also a social activist. So first of all, thank you, Camila, for being here. Um, um, having me. And welcome. Um, so just to start off with, obviously, um, what we did want to go into um, is, you know, this year has been very hectic with everything that's gone on anyway, um, with the pandemic and all sorts. But I think this year we did really see a rise of um, BLM. Um, I know that for a lot of black people, especially, um, it's like I've been going to protests since 2016. So it wasn't a new thing for a lot of the black community, but it seemed to get a lot more awareness across other races. Um, and we did also see this emergence of just people discussing black trauma and how black death seems to be really disrespected in the media. Um, and there's no sorts of um, sensitivity around it. So obviously for today's episode, we do want to explore that more um, and kind of discuss black trauma and obviously your thoughts with that. So really excited to get into the discussion. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the interesting thing about, I guess the protests in the midst of a pandemic um, and, you know, similarly to you, I've been to quite a few protests and what was quite interesting about the Black Lives Matter protests is there was a, a lot of young people, which was really nice. Um, it was quite diverse with regards to, uh, you know, different ethnicities um, coming to those marches. I guess going on the marches, what did it, what, what I guess what came up for me is actually sit still how separate communities were in the marches and this idea of you know whether it was black and brown people and people of color and I guess white people people that are racialized as white coming to these marches um but actually they really seemed to feel like there was quite a distance between people there wasn't necessarily conversations going on and um, so that just kind of made me think about you know there, there are people that want to support and defend the lives of um of black people black and brown people but also what does that look like in reality in terms of communications people's friendship groups people's families and on sort of like a foundational grassroots level where are these conversations being had if we go to protest and people can't talk and interact um, with the people that they're supposed to be supporting what does that look like in reality um and i do i am i guess i would be quite concerned about how much how many of these actions are actually quite performative um and mm. we and and the essence of what it really means to uh, support allyship protest for, in defense of black lives and black bodies um, and what that looks like in reality because in reality it's more than just uh, a philosophy or a theory it really needs to be about everyday actions it needs to be about communities it's how you treat people on the street it's how it's recognizing um, medicalized racism racism in the workplace racism in schools it's really quite expansive and I think that there was these you know chants and shouts but actually do people really realize the impact of what um it is to be socialized in a racist society and that the what that means to look at what people have to do on an individual and a community basis Mm, definitely. Um, I think what you said about things being performative is really key because especially as so much discussion is happening this year, especially on social media, um, on different platforms and stuff. And um, we just wondered, like, what's your kind of view on um, social media, that social media effect on black trauma and also the mainstream media in terms of how they portray things mm. and share things and so yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, I think there has to be, I, th I think, so we're talking about black trauma and we're talking about racialized trauma. And mm -hmm. I think that there are certain sections of the black community that recognize that racism is traumatic, um, but I don't necessarily think even particularly in the therapeutic or mental health um, systems and organizations that it had to actually outside of black philosophy black psychology um 
that it had actually been seen as traumatic. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of seen as this thing that happens, but not that it's, you know, it's traumatic when somebody dies or somebody's murdered, but it's not, we're not talking about, well, what is the trauma of uh, black and brown men and boys of being stopped and searched and literally being physically harassed you know, if we were talking, if this was something that was happening to women and girls on a regular basis, I'm pretty sure there would be a much more of an uproar. So I think that also a part of survival as a black community is that, and when I talk about black, I talk about it in the political sense, not in the, the sense of a, a racialized or ethnic sense, but um, people that have a common experience of oppression and marginalization um, and who happen not to be racialized as white, is that the part of survival is not necessarily recognizing that what you're experiencing is trauma. Like it can be for mm -hmm. some people, but for other people, not, not necessarily. So, you know, you experience these yeah. things when you go shopping, you experience these, uh, having to have these conversations at school about your children, or you go to university and the way that the lectures run or the things that are said in the lecture might be really quite traumatizing and uncomfortable and distressing, but, the acknowledgement of I am being traumatized or I am being re-traumatized and maybe the impact that that has on the body and the psyche may not actually have been in people's awareness right mm -hmm. and that's a part of survival because you know yes people want to survive and live but actually we want to get to a place as a community that we're thriving and thriving is very different from survival so I think that the sort of historical and the process historical elements of what it means to be a part of a community that is racialized and traumatized in this way is that there's not necessarily for everybody always that recognizing of that trauma um you know it's kind of like well do does you know when people are working or studying or doing whatever they're doing in their lives where where is that time to recognize, to cry, to scream, to shout, to embody those emotions when actually you've got to get up and carry on and survive? So I think, um, and I think so there's this, this balance of we were, you know, the world essentially was in this lockdown and social media had picked up on all of these things that were happening. So you had all these videos and these things going on. And I don't think there was that awareness of what it is to see people look like you or look like your cousins or your fathers or your friends or your mothers or could be your siblings being murdered on camera um and you know so those things were shown on media with not much regard um for the emotional well-being of, of black communities but also it did get shared around between black people um, with a lot, a lot of regard for what this may be when, you know, how somebody may feel when they get sent those, um, those images or those videos. So I do think there is a responsibility and I do think that the, the media perpetuate um, the reenactment of this sort of, uh, how would I describe it? This sort of, re this, you know, this voyeurism of the destruction um, of black bodies and which is highly problematic and really um, gives an idea of how desensitized much of the world can be towards black pain and black suffering and it not even seen as that it's just a video it's just it's like like you know like like we are not human beings like we are not real like this isn't uh, somebody's son or somebody's daughter or partner and you know that's so that can be that's hugely problematic um, and hugely damaging to have to constantly see, you know, what we, for those people that are on social media or are activists or are aware of this, they're not just seeing the, the you know, the people, the, the people that we saw over that period of time. There were many, 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 many others at the same, you know, that this was going on for. Um, and I think that all sort of gets left in the psyche um, of, of, of black communities. I 100% agree with everything you just said. And I think it goes, like you said, it goes back to this notion, which we can see all the way through um, history that black people's pain is not the equivalent to white people's pain. Um, and that's why black trauma is not really discussed or acknowledged. Mm. And I think you, you, you pull it right when you're trying to use a comparison. So like, for example, race, 
him being killed like that was racial abuse, right? And there would be no way that the media would show a sexual abuse scene on the media. But they're the same concept. It is, it's the same thing, it's abuse. And right. the way that they were put, um, a black man being killed on the media, on TV, day in, day out for weeks, would not have happened if it was any other type of abuse. Mm -hmm. yeah. It wouldn't have happened if it was physical abuse. Um, it wouldn't have happened if it was sexual abuse. And what this kind of does is, it, well, it comes from the concept that our pain doesn't is not the same level. But what that kind of does is like normalize this this concept. And it, it was awful. It was I found it traumatic, and I couldn't watch the video. I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's the you know, yeah, it's abuse, but it's 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 also violence. Yeah, you know, so we do not replay. Um, well, Hollywood does, in a sense, you know, does replay um, sexual violence um, and sensationalize it. But in terms of when we're talking about the media, yeah, we don't. You know, we wouldn't. It's it's actually so shocking that that this will be circulated, not yeah. censored. Yeah, and on like on primetime TV, like in the news, like my. Yeah. So my, it's like black black death becomes entertainment. Yeah, and like my my eleven year old brother saw that because it was on BBC News. Like BBC News is on in our house, and he's seeing that like that police officer for that period of time. And I just think it's such a shocking image, and no one no one acknowledges that. And like you said, I remember um, not long after like everyone it started circulating. I had this work conference call and um, we were all working from home and people were like, oh, what had happened over the weekend? And then we're talking about Elon Musk. And I was just sat there stewing because I just thought I've just seen. And like you said, you, you, you put it into context. You're like, this could be my brother. This could be my dad. This could be anyone I love purely because they're black. I've just seen them being murdered. I'm seeing people, teenagers being dragged out of their cars whilst white, white teenagers are smiling at the camera. I'm seeing all of this violence against black people and you expect me to sit here and talk about Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. And it, it was just infuriating. Um, and I think this lack of acknowledgement about our pain and our trauma, um, it has to stop. But what do you feel like, because like you said, black people also were circulating the same sort of images and not really having the regard for each other's mental health and like how we were do you feel like what what discussion do you feel like we need to have within the black community yeah, I, mean, I don't think it's intentional i think yeah that, um because i also think that some black people and possibly white people um and other races <laughs> or other things <laughs> wanted to show the horror so there's this idea if we show the horror of what's happening to us it will make people go oh my god this is awful yeah it doesn't right yeah. it does to one one element but actually this has been happening for years and years and years and years in many different hundreds of years and many yeah. different contexts though that shock those shocking videos and images are not going to have the impact it's not going to evoke empathy and compassion from those people that do not regard black people as human yeah, yeah, because a lot of people were comparing it to um, Emmett Till's mother leaving the casket open and how that kind of like, because the casket was left open and people saw how mutilated his body was, that's what kind of ignited a lot of the rage and like the civil rights movement and stuff like that. And so they were saying it's really important to share these images because of how shocking it is. But I agree with you because it's happened so many times, like so much over centuries, people have actually become desensitized to it so it doesn't have the well, same and, and, and it's like well who did it ignite rage for it ignited yeah. rage and protest and revolution within the black community and some allies but the mass rage and the mass sort of the change that we wanted to see within the system within communities within the wider communities with the, those at the power it didn't have any, it doesn't it didn't have an impact right so you know, I think it's really important to recognise that, I guess, the different places that people are and what things mean to them. Um, and I think there, there is something about, you know, the resilience of Black communities and moving forward um, and that support that can arise out of these incidences of trauma that we may forget the, the part of... of there's, you know, so we can be resilient, but we can also still be in extreme pain um, and it can still be re and resilient and still be needing support with our emotional well-being as individuals and communities. So I think it's, you know, we have to have those conversations about being mindful 
like you know that do you know do you want to see this or have you heard about this and if you have are you okay and why yeah. do we think that as uh, why do we think we still need to need to see this you know I'm not you know it was on the news do you know what I mean it was this this the, this was circulating for months after I think if you need to see somebody being mutilated and murdered on camera to invoke a sense of empathy then I think there's something wrong with the system that teaches that you have to be shown all of this for empathy to come in the first place there's something wrong in the childhood development because you should feel empathy anyway mm. I think what it does is not invoke empathy but strips the person away from their dignity like when I remember when there's like an act of terrorism and I think there was like somebody who was beheaded they didn't show that on camera or like they didn't show any kind of like racial killings on camera because they don't do that because it takes away from that person's dignity it takes away from the dignity of the the family the people that love them mm. and the individualism of that person because mm. they, they just end up being like a face case for rage as opposed to being a person who didn't deserve to die that way who didn't deserve that trauma inflicted on them and their family I think it just takes away from the person and the personhood of them which is why like even when there's like a car crash or whatever it is of like a high high profile celebrity you don't take their pictures it's not circulated to give them dignity at least in death that they might not have had in life and I think that's what when you see images of like black people being with all the violent encounter with police of them being mutilated of them lynched of them you know essentially showcase of what a racism this is it just tells them that actually the dignity that we would give any other person you are not afforded to purely because of the color of your skin and what that translates to in such in, in like terms of social standing I think that's what's so awful about it like why should you have to see a lynching live for you to understand that this is still a problem that institutional racism has not gone anywhere the end of slavery the abolishment of slavery was not you know the, the did not bring along with it yeah did not bring along with it an age of racial equity like it's not synonymous because mm -hmm. slavery was still redesigned because you know like in america the mass in incarceration prisoners don't get to vote they don't get to have a say on what litigations affect them so essentially what you're doing is you've just redesigned slavery mm -hmm. so I think it's things like that um which is why I think it's so important to talk about the importance of mental health I think we in the same breath that we say there's no stigma to mental health I think we still continue to uphold that stigma when people say they need to time out you kind of think well why are you not doing your duty where's your rage where's your moral duty you don't get to be tired and I felt like that before I think yeah I don't get to be tired I think that's privilege where you get to say yeah like I'm going to close my thing I'm not going to think about the the children who are being deprived of basic basic needs or I'm not going to think about the fact that George Floyd's daughter was made a face of revolution a little child that has no play she shouldn't have it's not amazing it's not strong it is basically inhuman that she's had to come and talk about her father on national television and that so i think as a child should a have to have placed on them and and i guess it's kind of like those are the the sacrifices or the um the actions or the acts or the acting the theater that has to happen in terms of what people want to see as courageous and and empowering were actually it's up, still a part of the system of sort of like respectability politics, you know, because, you know, when people yeah. saw what happened to, to George Floyd, there was still the, you know, but did he have a fake $20 note, you know, kind of thing? Like, and like somehow mm -hmm. this could be, um, this could be a reason for somebody losing their life. This idea of that we have to, um, and this spans across, I think, even when we're talking about issues of, uh, of racism in this country, the idea of, you know, how, what is it that black people have to do to be seen as, it's like working to be beyond better, morally better than any, any white person. So the idea of, you know, you need to talk a certain way, dress a certain way, um, have a certain job, all of these things in order to be respected and to, to not be stopped and searched or to get that job or to get through that interview or to be seen as 
respectable and worthy of being a part of society and not being uh, oppressed or marginalized. And actually none of those things matter as we saw yeah. with uh, you know, uh, sports persons being uh, stopped by the police or uh, people that were you know, coming back from talking about race on the radio show and then people, so you could, uh, so it's, you know, but I guess it's really having to recognize that what is going on is about power and it's about imperialism and it's the, it's the legacy of these discourses around uh, blackness and worthiness and and power um, that we have to we have to look at because you know if there is this idea if we're telling you know the, the narrative that's within the black, black and brown communities about you know you've got to work twice as hard and you've got to do it's like well actually none of these things that are going on in society about what I'm doing it's about the discourse about who I am and who I am being racialized to be so I could become a solicitor and drive a nice car and I'm still going to get pulled over by the police because it is a power issue and it is an issue around I do not believe that you have the right to have what you have. I don't believe because of the way that I see you and your group of people and the way that you're categorised, I am still going to pull you over even if there is a possibility even when I know it's probably all fine, but actually the power dynamics between that officer and that black person is gonna be about power. And it's gonna be about, you know what, regardless of you being on BBC radio, talking about racism and the problem with the police, I've still got the power to pull you over and shame you. Mm. you know? So it's so much more deeper than just empathy, evoking, trying to evoke empathy in people and trying to um, evoke compassion, because this is a legacy which has to be unpicked in a very particular way. And that I think that really comes down to how we separate race, we separate class, we separate all of these things and history, like it's not a part of one. So this idea that we have black history or we have European history, they aren't, they aren't separate. They, yeah. they, are all, they are all at the same time and they're all a part of the same experiences. So until we start to stop separating as if this happened without this happening, we're gonna have a problem, you know? So I think, and that's where the, you know, I feel like the importance of really the discourses, the, the different historical discourses and how they impact us now and the importance of looking at systems um, and experiences as wholes rather than as individuals. You know, how long are we gonna have Black History Month as this specific idea? These, there were, you, you couldn't have, we don't have a Black History Month. We have it because of all the other issues we have with the separation between, mm. um, between cultures, between what it means to be black between Africa, between Australia, between all of these different things, they, they, they don't happen in isolation. So we cannot look at black history as this sort of like binary separate entity outside of a system of, uh, of imperialism, of, of pre, pre that, that event also, that, that history we can't. Um, so I think we need to really start to look at why we are still in a place of um, categorizing and separating um, histories. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I think going off of that, and this is something that I felt before, like how do you, how do you separate that? How do you say, yes, my mental health matters? Because there was a time, and I had this conversation with Samia, who's on the call, um, about like, I was thinking about all the horrible things in this world and I thought we should be in a constant state <laughs> of mourning because anything otherwise feels wrong. I think until the system is then, is because, and it, it came from this thought process of like, all the people whose deaths are just numbers in history, like a child in Syria is dying every day, a child in Yemen is dying every day whose death isn't observed. And I think there's something so wrong with deaths that aren't observed. It's like, and I think that in itself, I think is wrong to think like that. But I just think at least if there's mourning, the death mattered. But if I don't even know the child's name, 
like their name isn't down in history. It's just down as a number, as part of a statistic where it says 20,000 kids or whatever it might be. And I thought surely until we change that, we should be in a state of constant mourning. And how do you separate men- the importance of mental health but also the- fighting a good fight? I was gonna add to that, sorry, quickly, because as Sharia said, we did have this conversation and it, it at one point I was crippled um with the amount of injustice that was going on in the world my mental health suffered and I'm going to be open and honest here because I felt so guilty every day for every small thing I did for example even the clothes I was wearing I knew they were made by children in in a country under slave labor like environments and there would be nothing that I could go about my day and do without this this guilt of you know so much injustice going on in the world and I had to take a step back. This is the conversation me and Sharia had about just because of the, our mental health. And I wonder, because you're, you, you specialise in this, how do you, like Sharia said, keep that, that balance? And I think that's the thing about when we get into a space of individuality, of, um, of feeling we can't change. There are things that we can do sort of on an everyday basis that we can you know, if we choose that we're going to recycle, if we choose that we're not going to buy clothes from a certain place, those are the things that we can do on an individual that are about our own causes and what we believe in. But there is something really about understanding that that change has to be collective, it has to be global, and um, and it's a part of a very controlled, particular narrative about the world and the way that we navigate it and things that are going on so I think it's so important to like joy is like the world can be horrific but it can be very joyous and we have to be able to look after ourselves in order to move forward um so I think it is important to recognize what you need to do what we need to do as individuals to keep ourselves safe and keep our emotional well-being in a a place that feels sort of healthy for us and when we try to take on the ills of the world um it is it will impact our mental health so i think that you know whether it's taking time from social media and sometimes that's the part of us that has to rationalize what's going on like these things are horrific and they're really sad but actually the weight of the world is not on your shoulders as an individual person so it's about you know giving yourself space and time out to look after yourself and um how you can i guess organize as a part of a community or a collective to um to make the changes that you want to see but you know we could live in a state of mourning for all the horrific things that happen in the world but what what use does that do what does who does does that help you does that help those people Mm. so I think there is something about how we um how we balance and how we navigate what we know to be awful um but knowing that none of those things are going to change um, they cannot they cannot change from an individual we can do individual things for ourselves and for our communities but it's a collective issue and it's a global issue yeah that's hard to um that's hard to sometimes to sit with because you can make you know you can end up feeling quite powerless um and wanting to do more and feeling quite powerless and really i guess embodying that horror Um, And I think that's important. That's why it's important to have community wellbeing spaces. It's important to maybe have access to talking therapy or access to so many of the wellbeing tools that are are not afforded to many people. It could be community, it could be a community uh, group where you go and talk or where you go and do things that are creative. Um, And I think that that's lacking hugely um as a whole but also in communities and in terms of access to spaces where people can heal um is is a huge issue do you think particularly for the black community that we lack access to all of these uh, facilities a hundred percent you know like if one therapy is expensive it's it's expensive um and so there is a money issue for but there's a money issue there's a time issue but also 
the therapy that people should have access to through their GPs and through mental health services are not sufficient and are not appropriate. They're not culturally diverse, Mm. not necessarily trauma informed and also the mainstream um, or sometimes even charitable organizations are not employing uh, black and brown people or um, which is black and brown people so people have people to relate to and understand people's experiences but also there are not enough um, men um, in 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 this in this field at all so you know you could be trying to find a male therapist for you know your teenage son that is going to be extremely hard work to find a black male therapist and it's not that there aren't black male therapists are out there there are definitely not enough um and this comes down to access to training um support when you know then some people get into the training and they realize that how trait how racist and problematic or how white western european the training is um and they can't engage with it so it's not just like one issue so there's issues of access but there's issues of these these organizations like the black mental health organizations really do fight for funding um, and a lot of these organizations can't get funding. The funding isn't there. So um, it's, it, it's not one problem on its own. It's a huge problem with lots of different sort of cogs, which are the issues. And um, within that, it made me think, so obviously you're talking about, you know, when it comes to therapy, um, a lot of the training is essentially whitewashed or like, like just dominated by a white lens um and it was it made me think and coming back to your point earlier about the power trip between police officers and um you know the black community and just this like you said you could be a solicitor but you'd still get stopped regardless because they want to stop you um i just wanted to ask you about your thoughts on when black black I think black men especially but black people in general want to try and come into the police force to essentially maybe try and change it from the system within um how that works and also sometimes you see black police officers um almost as if they're on the side of white people um and I think I saw quite a few videos that, and for me which was really shocking I'm like what's going on here like surely you understand the struggle surely that's why you kind of joined the force um so what are kind of your thoughts on that when it's kind of not just white police officers that are perpetuating this sort of power trip against the black community. Well, and the thing is, it's like we don't know why people join the police force, right? We've got no yeah. idea why these individuals join, but also your the idea that you could go in as a black individual and try and change the system from within is a complete fallacy. The mm. system is way powerful than you. You don't actually have any power and then you're also living in this sort of double consciousness, like knowing, um, you know, knowing what your life is outside and then going into the system and, of, and often having to perform a sense of responsibility. Um, and then the, the, the trauma and stress that that causes and how that then causes the, 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 the impact of, of um, uh, how that can impact people's mental health. The other issue I would say is probably around that we're not all aware of the system and how it is set up to be. So therefore you are going to have black people that are gonna be in positions where they do not believe that it is the system, that they believe it's you, that, that it's gonna be like, well, I'm pulling over this young black boy because he looks like this or he is this and this is what young black people are like, you know? so. The idea that we all, we're not a monolith, right? So we don't have all the same experiences. We don't all believe the same things, you know? So there are going to be people, there are going to be black people. And we see it in parliament, you know, that, 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 that have a very, I guess, Eurocentric idea uh, around power, about empowerment. Um, we have a, a, a political person at the moment who's running for a particular job um, and his policy, <laughs> his policies are absolutely outrageous. I've never seen, I, I was absolutely shocked. You know, his idea of meritocracy 
or you know or his idea of social mobility it's like well you know my my mom was a single parent and look where I am I'm like all right okay but how how does that that, that cross the spectrum of what the opportunities that everybody has so you are very much going to have people that are um I'm going to use the word socialized, but I don't, I don't particularly know if socialized is the right word because so many of these things we are not socialized into. They just are right. So, um, yeah, so you're going to have black people that are going to assert their power or want to assimilate into their roles and then become a part of the system and then cause harm. So this isn't, you know, this isn't around black people can't cause harm black people of course their harm is at every element of every of every of every community um and every structure but there is a there is a difference between um harm being caused between communities and individuals and harm being caused by um institutions um who are supposed to help and protect and serve the community um and actually perpetuate in systems of violence that we have experienced for centuries um so and also you know so you know you know there is this whole narrative around uh well uh you know there are these black people doing this whole black lives matter thing are they not concerned about what's going on in the community um so we have these sort of narratives and discourse that we then have to battle which is of course black people care about what's going on in their community they are you know we have activists within our communities we have mentors we have organizations we have charities there has always been this work that's going on there is very much a difference between the harm that's coming on between disadvantaged or um minoritized or racialized groups um, and that and, and working towards dealing with those issues versus dealing with issues from uh, of violence from the state right um and you know and those two i you know so i think that, that there's a separation there so i think what? when it comes to mental health the thing about mental health is we have to acknowledge where particular type of mental health issues come from if we're talking about mental health issues that are um that arise from trauma from institutions in the state then take sitting somebody in therapy and saying that we're going to work through your trauma from a space of what can you do to make your life better and and make your mental health wonderful when actually the system is a part of the system in your environment and the social political implications of being racialized as black that is causing you to have mental health problems i think we're in a we're in a a really difficult position than trying to support somebody telling them that they've got to do something to not feel traumatized or to have better mental health when the the uh the issues that are causing them those problems are not are contextual they're outside of them yeah so what do you think needs to change then if if it's beyond just fixing in therapy because the it's a systematic problem what do you well, think there's an issue that is that sometimes that's not recognized in therapy so people are going to therapy with issues and because therapy can be very much a part of the system or have a very particular lens it's not even noticing that some of what are going on for these individuals or these groups of people is contextual so it's kind of like well you know, I'm at work and I'm experiencing racism and I'm experiencing, and they're just like, and then, so when somebody's having that conflict, there's bringing that stuff to you and then you, and then you're sort of talking about mindfulness and what we <laughs> like to run a bath at the end of the evening. Do you know what I mean? Like this idea that you can self-care your way out of, you know, <laughs> that, that racial trauma, systemic racial trauma is outrageous so yes. first of all can we just be a bit real so we can have we can hold space for people's rage and their sadness and their unhappiness is a very diff is holding a very different space from trying to uh sort of empower somebody like this person might be like i'm not disempowered i'm actually you know you know i'm actually quite happy with a lot of elements that's going on in life i'm telling you that there are specific things that are happening to me 
and you know so when you can hold a space in 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 from a place of really understanding and being compassionate and you can hold a space to unpick that that's that could be a relief that you're not getting when somebody is telling you that you can positively think your way out of you know what i mean you can run a bar do some candles do some meditation do you know what i mean so it's kind of like um it's uh providing a, a space which is culturally and trauma-informed where, um, where, where somebody can really begin to, in, the, in all of their realness, unpick the elements of what's going on. Because a lot of the time, you know, and this is, and this is why it's really important to have, um, you know, for ed education, like in my whole, the whole time I've gone through psychotherapy training, I've done psychology training from undergrad to postgrad, and not once have I ever, um, we ever looked at or explored any theories of colour ever, not once, and that is outrageous. So even in my early days, you know, to mid through my career, I was still therapizing from a space of Western philosophy, right? And, and, and I was performing what it is to be a therapist. I wasn't embodying who I am, who, what my cultural background is, what I know about the world, you know, there are, there are going to be therapists that are more spiritual. They're going to be, all, you know, people bringing themselves to therapy and creating a space that isn't based on a power dynamic, which often mainstream therapy is. I'm the expert of you. I'm going to tell you what's wrong. And I've learned all of these techniques and I'm going to do them on you like a, like a magician. I'm going to do this, this therapy to you and you are going to move us into the world. <laughs> all of these techniques, you know, about about how you can navigate through the world um, yeah, without really being impacted by whatever's happened. Whereas actually there are, we have, to, we have to strip that back. And it is really about working in partnership. It's about being relational, but it's also about doing enough work and having enough awareness. Because clients, if, if uh, if a client is coming to see you, they will have a, 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 an intuition about what you can hold with them and what you can't. So if you if a therapist walks in, a client walks into a room with a therapist and you haven't done your work about your, you know, racism or homophobia or all these things that, 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 that can be issues, they're not going to talk about them. Right. And when I really recognized this was when working with, you know, quite diverse clients. So I could have clients that would come from Eastern Europe and would come in and, you know, after a few sessions, they'd be like, oh, you know, I want to talk to you about something. I'm like, okay, what's, what's going on? And they would bring up their, you know, the, the racism that they had felt from coming to this country. And it'd be like, you know, I think you might get it because although I am, you know, racialized as white in a respect or seen as white other, the experience I'm having in a, you know, in this Western white society, and they can then start to talk. And they'll be like, you know, I had a, a white, a white, a white therapist and they didn't get it when I brought it. You know, they shut it down and they couldn't hold that space for me because the work has not been done and people are not being challenged and they're not having the awareness, you know, and, you know, and really realizing that there is a, that there is so much, there, are, there is so much history, there are so many experiences who, that shape who we are and we have to be able to hold space for different types of people but we have to do the work. You know if I've got a colleague and you know and she's Irish we're, we're talking about her Irish heritage and what, should, what does that mean to you and what does that mean for an Irish woman who is in England and what have your experiences been? There are not enough conversations about about different experiences and different backgrounds and what that means and that's not happening enough within the, the therapeutic um, sort of community but also in terms of its formulations 
So if you're coming from a space where your books and your narrative do not include black scholars, mm. then there is no way that you are going to be able to hold spaces for anybody other than what you've learned. And this stuff is not contemporary either. This is, yeah. you know, not only are we looking at, uh, we're looking at, you know, I call it ancient. It feels ancient. You know, we're looking at things from like, you know, the 18 and 1900s, like, come on. You know, yeah. so it has to be modernized, modernized and it needs to be decolonized. I think also what you've said there is why I saw, I saw an article and people were saying, that the BLM protests have um, made the UK more racist, in quotation marks. And, and I think this lack of understanding about the Black experience or just anything that's not white British experience is what makes people feel so, like, offended and have, they've got their back up so much and, oh, it's because of these protests that now there are all these sort of racial tensions, not understanding that these racial tensions existed anyway and it's just now that we've, we've well not even just now but now they've seen that we're speaking out about it even more mm -hmm. and it's become more sort of like um widely spread news and I think it's I think that in itself is a privilege like being so caught up in your own life that you really think black people fighting for justice is created racial tensions like we've made it up out of thin air and believing that we can sit here around a fire holding hands singing kumbaya and not talk about colour and that's going to fix our problems it's just wild to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's the discourse we hear. You know, that was the discourse after, to, after Brexit was that, um, you know, Brexit enabled people to be, what was it? Brexit enabled people to be more racist. And it was like, well, no, no. Like, people have, we've always experienced it. We've always known it. It's just you that didn't. So it's not become more. And they're like, no, it has, because we see, no, you see it more. Right. I would even I would even go yeah. far enough to say uh, Brexit happened because of racism. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, it did. It did. Yeah, it you know, did. So these these particular discourses that we um, that we constantly hear and that become so embedded in 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 sort of our conversations and and people's understandings, and it's and it's really hard to challenge. No, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, this has been a really good conversation, I think, in terms of all the different areas that have been touched on. And um, something I thought of earlier was like, you know, when, um, like, for example, young black boys or whoever who've been, who've grown up and like seen even like their friends die and all of this and like people just think, or the system or whoever just thinks like the solution is to stop and search more and blah, blah, blah. But really these, these children need like therapy and if like you said there's not there's no one that can, they can relate to who are they going to talk to and like I think that's been a general theme like for maybe our communities as well like kind of just brushing things under the carpet but I think there needs to just be more acknowledgement and awareness of the fact that like we we need to take care of our mental health and like going forwards, I think, as you, as you mentioned, maybe there needs to be more um, conversations so that there's more understanding between different communities and all of that. So yeah, um, I think, thank you for coming on. It's been really, yeah. I just really, really wanted to add to that because I think it's yeah. really, really important. I think, yes, when people go through trauma, they do, you know, therapy is one of the, of the approaches you can have to support people but you can't therapize people out of um, a dysfunctioning system. So you cannot give, you can't, we couldn't, even if we all were in therapy, we'd still have to go home to the same environments. Yeah. So if there is no money in the schools or if, um, you know, there is no money for these communities and all of these things are taken away, you can't, you can't therapize people outside of the system. The system needs to be changed. Yeah, the system definitely needs to, needs to change. Education, all of these things are a part of the issue. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. That's what I wanted to clarify. But we do need this, but not in isolation. It's not, no, yeah. you know, and actually for some people, therapy, people aren't always ready to go to therapy. So therapy isn't always the answer. Um, but there are other ways that we can hold spaces 
for or create spaces. We need to have um, approaches to mental health that are, are, are more creative um, and transformative. Um, and, you know, those things have to be just outside of the therapeutic space. 100%. I think we all agree with you when um, we say the system needs to be changed. Shreya absolutely wants to burn the system to the ground. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I, I, I would totally yeah, I do. When you're ready to do that, because I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah, it needs to go. I got you. Do you know what? Because I think where people, this is what I've always hated. And like anytime people talk about this, especially at like work. So I work in um, a corporate setting. So I work in financial services in the city. And often like whenever we're, and I'm on the leadership committee for one of the um, steering groups to try and like end gender disparity as if that can be done from within. But I think every time people say, let's let's focus on the progress, you know, it's slow progress. I hate when people say it's a marathon, not a sprint, because what you're basically saying to me is, yes, we should we should take the small wins. And what people forget is small wins isn't getting us there fast enough because it's been hundred, it's been over 400 years, maybe more, maybe longer, if you think about different oppression. And we're still not there. We can't wake this out. So mm-hmm. I hate when people say, let's not try to reinvent the wheel. The wheel needs to be broken, my friend. Mm-hmm. The wheel is the problem. Yeah. I don't want to reinvent it. We need to co- think of a system that works for everybody. And I think... And the way of doing that is having no system in the first place because that's what liberation is. Reform is not the answer yeah. because the foundation of the system is built on inequity, right? It's built on someone being above and someone being lower. It's built on power dynamics where power will never be the same, mm-hmm. right? Across everybody. So if that's the foundation, it doesn't matter how many times you reform it, it doesn't matter how many times you do, you put, apply some spice and some seasoning on it. It's not going to change because the foundation is the same. Joe yeah. Biden is not the answer to America's problems. No, Barack Obama was not the answer to America's problems. It never will be. So I think what people then like need to realise is the system is flawed, no matter how diverse the candidate, how diverse the cabinet is, that will never solve the issue. Because yeah. the issue is the system itself. So, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I cannot disagree with that. Put it, put it so nicely. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, thank you so much, Camila. I was literally, the whole time you were speaking, I was literally like clicking my fingers. Like you spoke facts the whole way through. And I really hope we can start having more discussions like this um, where people are more understanding of other communities, like you said, and we have this sort of open conversation um, where people actually are able to understand um, not and not be offended by, and kind of, I think, I think the issue that we've had a lot of the time is when black people try to talk about their trauma, the issues or mental health. And we talk about it in the guise of like white supremacy and the issues of the system. White people seem to get really offended. Um, and yeah, that needs to stop. So I think there's, we could, we could probably keep talking for hours and hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we'll stop it here but thank you so much and for everyone who's listening if you do have any more points that you want to add to this discussion please hashtag untold and um, we spoke about black trauma we spoke about mental health we've spoken about breaking the system down burning it down to the ground um let us know your thoughts on everything we've spoke about but until next time guys thanks for listening thank you so much thank you bye thank you so much bye <laughs> <laughs>